All right, here we go now. We're going to jump into this. Now, you know, if, if you uh, just about anything you do in life, you have to get a license. You know that? I mean, uh, you got to get a driver's license. You just can't start driving. You got to go take a test and prove that you can drive safely. You know, you got to get all the rules, the regulations, everything down pat. You know, uh, uh, my doctor that I have, I, I'm glad he went to eight years of college. He just didn't get up one day and said, I think I'll be a doctor and I'll just do something. He went through eight years of intense training. Uh, my accountant that uh, uh, went through six years of training to become a good accountant. I didn't, he just said, hey, I think I'll be an accountant and I'll just start counting your money. Anybody that's done anything worthwhile had to go get training. We do that for every vocation, everything in life except marriage. That's the only thing we don't train anybody for. Well, you don't need to be trained to get married. You just fall in love. Really? Well, what does that mean, fall in love? What's that? You got a goose bump? Your heart went twitter-pated? You can't catch your breath? You want to suck the lips off each other's face? What does that mean? You're in love. And most of us can't even, do, we can't even think about that. Now, the Bible's very clear that our job as believers is to train the next generation. We're to train them and to teach them and equip them. What's the job of the church? We're to train, we're to teach, and to equip for the work of the ministry. We're to train you to go do something. Well, same thing as a parent. I'm to train my kids before they leave home here. Here's what life is. Number one, you know, you need to have some character about you. You know, you need to do what's right. And you can't do that if you don't get saved. So my number one priority to my kids, i got to get you saved. You need to know Jesus. You need to know that he loves you. He talks to you and orders your steps, directs your paths, gives you divine favor. If you don't know that God loves you, you'll be a thumbsucker in life. The only reason you're not doing well is some other human's fault. Well, if it wasn't for my teacher, I'd have been somebody. If it wasn't for my coach, I'd have been somebody. If it wasn't for my parents, I'd have been somebody. If it wasn't for my boss, I'd be somebody. And you're always going to blame somebody else. We call that a loser's limp. How you doing? Not too good. If it hadn't been for them, I'd be doing good. If it wasn't for them, I'd be doing good. If it wasn't my third grade teacher, I'd be doing good. If they hadn't kicked me out of school, I'd be doing good. And I hear from grown people, especially our men's retreats all the time, it's some other human's fault. Well, humans aren't my problem, the Bible says. Unless it's my own human flesh. My flesh could be a problem. So I realize training's critical. You need to know who you are in Christ when you leave home. You need to know who you are. Who are you in Christ? What? Well, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm Joe Allen McGee. No, no, who are you? I don't want to know your name. Who are you? Well, that is who I am. No, that's your name. That's not who you are. And who are you in Christ? Do you know you've been bought with the blood of the Lamb? You've been redeemed from under the curse of the law? That you don't, you're not a child of the kingdom of darkness. You're a child of the kingdom of light now. Do you know that? You know what you are in Christ? You know those 134 scriptures in Christ, in him, in whom? You ever read that? Who you are and what you've got? Because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he bought a lot of stuff for us. He redeemed us from a messed up deal. And so I always tell people in our marriage seminars, you know, if you're not saved, marriage seminar won't do you much good. Marriage is only for believers. It's not for unbelievers. You know, I shared, I think when I shared last time, I got a cousin I love dearly. And he calls and, and uh, we were having a big family reunion. And when my daughter got married back uh, a few months ago and everybody's showing up. And, hey, it's okay if I come, isn't it, Joe? Sure. I hope you're there. I want to look forward to seeing you because he's living with this gal. They're not married. He said, well, you know, you know we're, we're, we're still living together. You know, we never got married. I said, I know that. But you don't mind if I come to the wedding? Oh, dear, no, come on, man. We're going to have some great food and we're going to have a little dancing going on. We're going to have some hillbilly boot scooting music. We're all going to boot scoot together. And he said, well, I just didn't think you'd mind, you know, knowing that I, I'm, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not married. I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you're going to hell anyhow, so it doesn't matter when you marry. <laughs> now, I'm not being rude. We laugh a lot. We're real blunt with one another. He's, and I tell, I just talk straight up. And he sort of giggled. I said, what? He said, well, you're going to hell anyhow. It doesn't matter if you're married. And if you're going to hell, it doesn't matter if you're married. Marriage is not that big a deal if you're going to hell. <laughs> Still funny when I think about it. Anyhow. <laughs> 
They, they came, and they're getting married, by the way. It's, it's, it's working out. <laughs> marriage is for believers, not for unbelievers. It's for God's people. God made it. He said it's a real good thing outside of salvation. Say the second greatest thing I ever did was invented marriage. Two people coming together, giving their life to one another. It's a covenant. It's a promise to one another. It's not a, well, if I like you, we'll hang together. If I don't like you, we'll leave. No, no, no. It's a, it's a blood covenant. It's an eternal thing. Till death us do part or or sometimes in some cases until we kill one another. It's supposed to be until death us do part. And it's a promise. Why? Why do you have to make a promise? Because there's going to be some tough times. This isn't just a roller coaster ride at Disney. There are going to be some tough times. And so I realized getting my kids equipped before I did that, being an engineer like I used to be, and I was sharing back last time when we were trying to invent this new product, we realized we're, we're not good at this. Somebody else is making good money. We're not because we don't know how to do this. Well, let's go visit somebody. Whenever you're not good at something, instead of just sitting there in the middle of a big cow patty, <laughs> might want to get up and kind of go somewhere else and go ask somebody else how they're going to do it. If you're doing better than me, there's usually a natural reason. Now, I'm a great believer, man. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God, but I know some. If somebody else is doing better than me, it's usually because they know something I don't know. It's not for some holy reason or some supernatural reason or they're walking on water better than me. They know something I don't know, so you need to ask questions. So I learned early working with that engineer years ago in Saxon, Missouri, if we're not doing good, let's go ask our competitors how they're doing it. And believe it or not, people will tell you how they're doing it. People love to brag when they're good at something. So, hey, how's your marriage working out? Really good. Well, what do you do? I mean, how, how is it working out? Did you just get lucky and marry a real docile, nice woman? What? No. Oh, dear God, no. She can turn into the devil incarnate if you don't watch out. And, and, and you learn by asking questions from other people. And so I went through that process, and Denise and I almost got divorced. We realized I don't want to get divorced. You know, I'm saved now, and I, I want to do what's right, and I, I want to have a great marriage, and I want us to last long. But how are we going to do that? Well, I need to find out, number one, what a marriage is. Well, it's a God-made institution. God said, I made marriage. I made it that man and woman should come together, cleave to one another, leave their father and mother. I made you one on purpose. Why? Well, two's better than one, Ecclesiastes 4 says. Two are better than one. Matthew 18, 9. If you two agree on anything in prayer, it'll be done. Two is a powerful number in God's kingdom. The devil knows that. That's why the devil's always trying to separate husbands and wives. The devil tried to separate God from his throne, God from Adam from Eve, Adam and Eve from each other, Adam and Eve from the children. He's a divider. Jesus is a uniter. That's when we pray, Father, make us one together like you and Jesus are one. I want a spirit of unity in my home. Well, you don't get it if you don't seek it. It's not an accident. It's because you go after it on purpose. So I realized, okay, marriage is made by God. He said it's good. He said, man, if, if you end up going to hell, Ecclesiastes 9, I told you this morning, if you end up going to hell on the way past the judgment seat to hell, God will say, well, at least I gave you a spouse. He sees, he sees that as a reward, a good thing when you get a spouse. Well, if that's so good, why do we have such a high divorce rate? Well, evidently, we don't know what to do with it when we get married. It's like doing anything for the first time. I wasn't an expert when I got married. I didn't get a degree in marriage. There are no degrees in marriage. You know, you have to believe you've heard, by, heard from God. What do you, what do you, God, I think, that, I think that's the one you got from me. Well, she thinks the same thing. Well, maybe we ought to hook up and we'll get married. What's going to be after we get married? Well, you're going to spend the rest of your life learning about each other because you're both going to keep changing. By the time you think you've got each other figured out, they're going to grow up on you. Man, now I don't know. What are they doing now? Well, they've grown up. They think different. You know, when my wife and I got married, we were real simple. We lived in a $55 a month rent house, nice little place. You know, I remember, the, I think the, the, the uh, light bill was $12 a month, and the, light, the water bill was $5 a month, grocery bill was about $33 a week. Life was good. 
You know, we got off two weeks a year. We go to Gatlinburg for one week and Florida to the other. We bought our first truck, a 1972 Chevrolet pickup truck, uh, downtown Chattanooga, $2,349. Brand new. Newton Chevrolet, they rolled it right off the truck. Hadn't even been driven. Bought that brand new. Bought a little Volkswagen Beetle. Paid about that thing. $3,112. Brand new. Paid cash for. I just had cash in my pocket. Life was good. I lived 100 yards from my mom and dad. If my wife wasn't cooking nothing, I'd go eat at my mama's house. She's cooking all the time. If I didn't have a tool, I'd go get it from my dad's. If he didn't have it, I'd go to my father-in-law who threw, lived three miles away. Life was good. But then I got laid off from work and started having babies. Not good. <laughs> Dryer door wouldn't stay shut unless you put duct tape on it. The couch and the bed looked like camels that died on both of them. They just wore out because they were cheap when I bought them. You know, transmission was leaking. Truck's making a funny noise. I put on 52 pounds. My hair's growing out of my ears, sit off the top of my head, like, shut up. You shut up. <laughs> and we got to know each other real good. And we didn't like what we got to know. Never, I don't care how good looking you are, I never said marriage. Marriage you too early and too late and on the rebound. And you just get so mad. And we would say those nasty things that people say to one another. And had it not been for that great Methodist that got us back to God, we'd have never made it because we wanted to divorce. We hated each other that bad. Well, thank God we got back in church, began to learn the Word of God. And I realized there were several things that didn't. Number one, men and women have job descriptions in the Bible. Whether you're married or not married, all men are three things. All men are lovers, leaders, and providers. That, it, that will never change whether you're single, whether you're 12 or 120. You are a lover. If you're a male here tonight, you're a lover. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. God loved me before I ever loved him back. God didn't love me because I loved him. I didn't love him at all. I was going to hell on purpose. God loved me on purpose. And my job is to love my wife on purpose whether she ever loves me back or not. That's my job. This is your job, Joe. You're to love her. Well, she's not real nice right now. I didn't ask you how nice she was. I said your job's to love her. And that's not a love. That's a serving love. For God so loved the world he gave. You meet her needs. That's what love is. It's meeting people's needs. And she's got some, so you need to quit griping about them and start meeting them. So I thought, oh, dear Lord, have mercy. Because Denise and I saw everything different. It didn't take but a few months of marriage to realize we are not the same. I don't think like you think. I think right. <laughs> Which means if you think something different, you think wrong. Your, your family's crazy. Now, her father's a great athlete. He's coached and played ball and sports and won tournaments and coached teams and been very successful. He does nothing at home. You know, I remember a post broke on the carpet one time. He duct taped it back together. The gas tank, gas tank hand stopped working on his truck. He didn't fix it. He just taught my wife, well, she wasn't my wife then. The way you find out if there's gas in the truck is you stand on the side of it when you get in rocket and listen. Oh, yeah, we got gas. We're in good shape. I'm not making that up. That truck was three different colors because it had some damage and they fixed it back. And one was red, one was rust color, and one was white. It was a three-tone pickup truck. <laughs> now, he made good money, took good care of his family, but maintenance things were nothing to him. My father was the opposite. He fixed everything twice. It's immaculate. It works right. So my father's love language was fixing stuff. My father-in-law's love language is going on trips and taking his wife. So when we got married, my wife thinks loving her is, let's go somewhere. Let's go somewhere. I don't want to go nowhere. It's Saturday. You stay home. You watch a ball game, take a nap, and you fix something. 
well, we didn't, we didn't speak the same language, you know. She thought I didn't love her. And she'd tell me that, my God, I'm working hard. I fixed the doorknob and the leaky faucet, and I'm fixing everything around here. I couldn't understand why she didn't interpret that as love. Well, that's because we thought different. I realized, well, my job's to love her. I need to find out what it is she thinks love is because it's not what I think love is. She thinks love's me coming home from work, sitting down for at least 30 minutes, and let's share with one another. I don't want to share. I just got home. I want to eat something and go out in the garage and fix something, but I don't want to talk to you. I've been talking to people all day. I get paid to talk to people. I don't want to talk to you. Fix me some dinner. Put on some makeup. Pucker up. <laughs> now, you can laugh, but I was very serious about that. Anyhow. <laughs> Whoa. So I realized I'm a lover, and I realized, you know, well, her love language is different. And I've told the story several times when we got in bed early one night, about 9.30 at night. All six kids were finally asleep. We'd set a record. Since we'd had all those kids, they'd never gone to bed that early. We lived way out in the country in Oklahoma, got some land and a big barn house, and I like living way out in the country. I've always wanted to be there, and that's where I'm at now. And so we've got dogs and some cattle and stuff, and you can't hear a thing. No coyotes, nothing. It is a peaceful night. The moon's shining. We're upstairs in the bedroom. I said, we've set a record. We've never been to bed this early. Thank God. We're laying there just in our bedroom upstairs looking out the window, big window, looking out on the side of the mountain there. They call it a mountain. It's a ridge in Oklahoma, but they call it a mountain. And we're just looking, at, and all of a sudden, Denise broke the silence. When we got to bed early that night, I was flying out to San Antonio the next day. She said, Joe, did you lock the back door downstairs? And I couldn't remember. I usually do. I, I want to. I should have, but I can't remember. But she wants to make sure it's locked. And I thought, I just laid it. No, I, don't, I can't remember. Now, I've set a record. I've not been to bed this early since I've been married. I'm not getting up. <laughs> I'm not worried about anything. Number one, we live a mile and seven-tenths off a paved road. I got dogs. I got nice dogs, but they attract nasty dogs. And the nasty dogs are sleeping in my yard with my nice dogs. You put them in my driveway, they'll bite your leg off. <laughs> you understand? I'm not worried about a thing. So if I haven't locked it, I don't care. And she said, you locked the back door, and I can't remember. And I laid there a minute, and she asked, and I can feel her looking at me. We're laying in bed together, just real. And you can feel that laser be my thing, like. And I thought, I'm not getting up. I've set a record, and I'm not getting up. So I just closed my eyes, and I lied. Now, I like to think I lied in faith. <laughs> you can't do that. Lying's lying. And liars go to hell, by the way. Anyhow, I, I remember I closed my eyes, and I just went, mm-hmm. Now, I'm hoping I did. I thought I did. I'm pretty sure I did, but I'm not positive that I did. But she wants to be positive. So I just closed my eyes and said, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, she got up, put the covers back, and down the stairs she went. We got a spiral staircase. So I heard her go down through the hallway, and I heard that chain hit that back door right under our bed. And I thought, mm-mm-mm-mm. Didn't lock it. Well, she's coming back down the hallway. Denise is not a petite gal, but she's not a very large gal. She's, she's kind of small. But, buddy, it sounded like a Jaws movie coming down that boom, 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 boom. <laughs> she's mad. So I thought, man, I better lighten her up. And I said, so I hollered downstairs. and said, babe, don't worry about anything. Nobody's going to get in the house. Dogs kill anybody before they get in the front door. Well, she hit that spiral staircase, and she picked up speed. Boom, 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 boom. I thought, oh, man, that made her mad. <laughs> so I hit her with another volley. I said, Dan, if anybody got in the house, the kids would kill them before they got upstairs. <laughs> and she hit my bedroom door to full head of steam, and, buddy, it was ugly. And I panicked. I just panicked. And so I went holy on her. And I said, why don't you get some faith, woman? <laughs> we, we, didn't, we didn't cleave that night. We didn't cleave for a lot of nights. <laughs> well, I fly to San Antonio. We're down over 93 men at this great retreat uh, outside uh, New Braunfels. And 
Uh, we went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we're going, we finished up Sunday morning real early. We're in this big metal pavilion, metal roof, no sides, perfect acoustics. And so we loaded all the chairs and equipment. We're getting ready, to, we're drinking the last of the coffee so we don't have to pour it out so we can drive back to San Antonio. I'm speaking the Sunday morning service, and I'm going to fly home after the service. Well, we're just sort of just hanging out, just in little groups and that. And all of a sudden, just talking real soft. You really can't hear anything. Guys just kind of muttering. All of a sudden, a man in another group, about five guys, everybody's clustered up drinking coffee before we load up in the hands. And a guy said at a moment when nobody else was saying anything, you know, my wife's not pretty anymore. And everybody heard it. And everybody went stone quiet and everybody's head went. All of a sudden, he just looked up like, did everybody hear that? (laughs) Because we're all staring at him. It's like, oh, man. Well, you know, I'm the guest minister. And so the guys in my group said, Brother Joe. Like, me go do something about that. I thought, what am I going to do about that? He's been here for three days. What did he not hear? How stupid a statement is that? I just froze. Like, I don't know what to tell him. I, I, what kind of stupid statement? And all of a sudden, a white-haired gentleman in another group came across the floor, bringing that little pocket Bible that he carried in his pocket. And he walked over and said, well, now you know, son, according to the Word of God, she is what you've made her. Well, that went real quiet. We thought God had gone home. You can hear men repent. Father, forgive me of any sins I've committed against you in Jesus' name. Like, man, like the Holy Spirit showed back up, you know. And he said, you know what makes a woman ugly, son? Now, the guy knows he's nailed. You know what makes a woman ugly? And the guy says, no, sir. He said, worry. Worry makes a woman ugly. Your wife worried about anything? He said, my wife's worried about everything. Well, there's your problem. The Bible says that Jesus told his bride, the church, you have any cares? Roll those cares over me, for I care for you. Your job is to take that off of her. Well, I'm sitting here, and I'm the guest minister, and I'm thinking about the fight my wife and I had, you know, before I came down on Thursday, and I wouldn't go lock the door. I thought, well, dear God, you know. So I thought, i got to get home. So Denise never holds a grudge, never has in 40 years of marriage. She picks me up to the airport. Everything's wonderful. We're driving home, and I said, honey, can you drop me off down here at the hardware store? I need to get some stuff. And I went in, and I bought, I didn't buy any chain locks. I bought dead bolts, three dead bolts from three outside doors. They don't make them anymore, but used to they're made out of rebar, a big steel key like you open a can of Spam with, except it's real big. And what you do, you bolt it to your front door, drill a hole in the floor, and you just, <clears throat> and you can't kick that door in. You'd have to get it off the hinges to get that door kicked in, and I put that on our front door. I put dual floodlights, and I used to be an electrician when I worked with my dad, and so I took dual floodlights, took a week to do all this. I put dual floodlights on all four corners of that two-story barn and two out in the woods and wired them to one switch on Denise's side of the bed. Now, not one time that whole week did she ask me what I was doing. She never once said, well, what are you doing? Well, well thank you. But she never said, thank you. What are you doing? Nothing. She knew what I was doing. And so uh, we were up in uh, Connecticut doing a marriage seminar together, and we had told this story at one of the Saturday sessions, and an elderly lady came up and talked to Denise after the session where we were talking about communication. And she said, did you not ever thank your husband for doing all that work? She says, what? Did you not ever thank Joe for putting all those locks and those lights on? She said, no. Well, don't you think that was rude? Denise said, no. You don't think that's rude? She said, no, that's his job. I don't thank him for doing his job. That's his job. He didn't thank me for doing the dishes and laundry before we left. And that's my job. I don't thank him for doing his job. He didn't thank him for doing my job. And if he'd like to do above his job, I might thank him for that. <laughs> I'm going to preach that all over America. That, that's real good. But I realize that what she thinks love is not what I think love is. 
My job's to lead. First Corinthians 11.3 is God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man's over the woman. Woman's over the kids. Kids over the dog. Dog's over the cat. Cat's over the mouse. Mouse's over the cheese. There's a pecking order in the kingdom of God. It's in the Bible. I'm not making that up. But the word head is not a southern term. It doesn't mean boss or dictator. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. If you see me, you've seen my father. My father's my source. He can't make me do anything. I choose to do what he says. Jesus turns around to man and says, man, without me, you can't do a thing. But with me, all things are possible. Jesus is my source. He won't make me do a thing, but he'd be my source if I need something done. And then a man's to turn around to his wife and say, baby, don't, what do you need? My job's to get that done. That's what leadership is. I'm to meet the needs of those underneath me, not bark at them or give orders. I'm to supply needs. I thought, whoa, have mercy. Somebody should have said that before I said I do because this list is going to get long. And then I realized that brought up the really next one. You know, 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, any man that does not provide for his own family is worse than an infidel. He's as bad as somebody who's denied the faith. My job is to financially take care of my family. And I remember when Nisa and I getting fought over money, I, I've shared it several times in our financial seminar. I said, you know, I remember one time it's like there was just never enough. I mean, we're dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven between the diapers and the pampers and outgrowing the tennis shoes and little league camps and stuff. And now we're going to drive. We need a car. Like, and I got mad one time and I just started yelling. I was in the kitchen. I'm saved. You know, I'm a Christian, but I just lost it. I just screamed. I said, it's never enough, is it, Denise? It's just, by God, never stinking enough, is it? And she was washing dishes. She just looked around so calm. She said, no, Joe, you need to make more money. <laughs> and I didn't even know what to say. It's like. And I realized she, she was right. My job is to provide for my family. I better figure out how to do it and quit rapping about the economy. The economy is not my enemy. Not my enemy. My God said he'd supply all my needs. There must be a way to do it. My job is to find out what it is and get busy doing it. Of course, you know, finance, you only get paid for two things on this planet. You get paid for what you know and what you can do. If you don't know more than somebody else and you can't do more than somebody else, you don't make more than somebody else. So I realized I'm not making much money because evidently I don't know much and I can't do much, which is why I went back to night school to go get my degree. And I don't tell people to do that because college won't necessarily get you a great job. Most of the millionaires, multimillionaires in our country have no degree. Years ago, I read from the Dropouts Hall of Fame, all the great famous people in America, from Thomas Edison, you know, to Abraham Lincoln, to, to you, you know, we just go down the list of people today from Microsoft, you name it, no degrees, but had a gift, stewarded their gift. Gift will make room for you, make you famous, make you wealthy. It's your gift. Are you going to steward your gift? Gifts don't take you to heaven. Jesus takes you to heaven. Your gift is for this planet. So I realize as a husband, I better find out what I'm good at because that's what I'm going to get paid for. They're not paying me for what I'm not good at. They're going to pay me for what I am good at. I better not only get good at it, I better get real good at it, which means I need to start asking questions about other people and start humbling myself so I can grow. And so I thought, well, I'm a lover, leader, and a provider. My wife is a helpmeet. You know, Genesis 2.18, God said, Adam, you need some help. I don't know what God was thinking. He said, you you need some help. Come over here and take a nap. Lay down. Adam woke up. He had a rib missing. Man, that's funny. And there stood a good-looking gal. Whoa, howdy, God. Whoo, have mercy. And they didn't feed the camels that day or water the plants or anything. They just spent the rest of the day getting to know each other, I guess. Do I need to interpret that for you? Well, you know, after a while, that thing went south because they, they had some disagreements on stuff and, you know, the fruit deal and, you know, all of a sudden they got to go make some clothes and go hide in the woods and then they got fired from the job, evicted from their house and the kids started killing each other. Sin kills. Sin kills. And I realized, well, the family has an enemy. I better find out who I am, who Denise is. Number one, 
She's a help me. She can only help somebody that's doing something. If I'm not doing anything, the greatest frustration of any wife is to marry a man who has no vision. There is no greater frustration. Now, all my son-in-laws, the one that passed away and the two, or the one I've got and the one I'm about to get here in another few months, I made them go through all my courses, and it's just Bible stuff. It's not me, it's the Bible. I said, you know, uh, my daughter's going to be help me to you. Uh, you better be moving or she'll take your place. I've got some aggressive women in my family. They're on the move. If you're not moving fast, they'll knock you out of the horse and get in the saddle, and then you'll be chasing them. So if you want to have a great relationship, you better have a clear vision. I don't care if your vision is to dig a ditch to China. Honey, what do you think you're called to do? Well, I think I'm called to dig a ditch to China. Well, praise God, let's get a shovel and get after it. And I'm just going to make sure you got plenty of food and clean clothes and get your shovel all sharpened up for you. Women really don't care what men are called to do. They really don't. We've done surveys for years. They don't really care just what are you doing. They can't help you take a nap on the couch and pass gas. They can't help you do that. I'm not trying to be crude, just trying to tell you what I hear most of the time in Christian counseling. No, oh, it's more crude than that. I could really entertain you. I've been convicted several times in counseling. I need to change my life. I'm going to help you, and then I'm going to go home and change my marriage. And I realize ignorance is a horrible thing. So I'm to, I'm to, I'm to lead. So I, my wife's so happy right now because every January we sit down and we lay out the one-year plan. What do we expect to do this week, this month, and this quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter? How much money do we need to come in? What things are coming up? We know we're going to have to replace. Got a wedding coming up. You know, we're having to do some things with my father-in-law. And so there's dollar figures attached to all that. We need this to happen this year. This has got to happen. And then with our, with our ministry, well, this has got to happen. We've got goals and stuff. We can't wait till we get lucky. We've got to get aggressive, start praying about it, and start putting some plans to it. And here's the plans we've got. Here's the next steps we're going to take. So everybody's on the same page. And then, of course, we put it up on a plaque now in the office. Here's the goals for this year, for this month, and this week. And so we'll get our heads together. It doesn't make it perfect, but it lets everybody know. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4, write the vision so others can read it and run with it, and you don't have just a messed up confusion of where you're going. So my wife's real happy when she knows where I'm going and what I've got planned. Uh, you know, I wasn't a preacher when she married me. She thought she was going to marry a preacher, was dating one when I showed up. He didn't turn out to be a preacher. He's real big in politics, Tennessee today, and you'd know his name if I said it. But I showed up, had on jean shorts, spitting tobacco juice, but driving a really good 56 Chevrolet. It was sharp, 12 coats of lacquer paint, jacked up in the back, baby moon wheels and good music and me. And evidently I won. And she loved me for a while until three years in we wanted to get divorced because I had no vision. I just want to kiss you and eat cheeseburgers and go to work. Well, work at what? Well, you know, I work. I work. My daddy worked at a factory. My father-in-law worked at a factory. You get a job, you work there for 30 years, and you retire. That's my vision. No, no, we're going to need more than that. We can't live in this $55 a month rent house forever. We can't keep, we got to get bigger stuff and more stuff. Well, well, that's too much money. Well, you need to make more money. Well, I work hard. I remember one time Denise said, Joe, you work hard. You need to work smarter, not harder. And, and we would clash over what my actual biblical job description was. And I realized, okay, you're a help me. They're going to give you something to help me do. Number two, women manage the home. You know, First Timothy, men aren't the head of the home. Women's the head of the home. You think you're the head of the home? Try hanging that dear head in the living room. <laughs> She'll let you leave it there for about a week, and then that puppy's going to the garage. She's not going to look those glassy eyes. She won't do it. Not my wife, anyhow. So she's a manager of the home. So I'm not the head of my home. I don't care what color carpet. I don't care where the couch sits. 
I'm not the head. I'm, I'm her provider. She takes care of the home. And then number three, it says older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands and love their children. Now, that's not the huggy, huggy, kissy, kisses. How do you serve your husband? How do you serve your kids? How do you train them up and launch them? Well, you have to learn from somebody else. So those are the basic job descriptions. Now, the needs are very different. I'm just going to give you the top two, and we'll get into this some tomorrow night. My, I have two needs. Number one, all men, all males. This is from the 280-something Christian counseling centers in America. Here's what they say they got from their surveys. Top two needs of all men. Number one is honor. Men need honor. Men will not go where they don't look good. They hate going somewhere where they don't look. That's why most men hate social events. What are we doing over there? We're going to visit. Well, dear God, for how long? I don't go to a stinking reunion. I already know all those people. They're all crazy. I'm not going. Well, I don't like going where I don't look good. That's why we like to wear our hats backwards and cut the mufflers off our car and peel our tires out at the red light. We want to prove we're somebody. We got to look good. Number two need of all men is sex. Not romance, not a shower, not bathing, not smelling good, just plain old sex. You want to do it? <laughs> now match that up with the top two needs of women. The top two needs of a woman, number one is security. That's why men, their top need is honor. Men talk about their past. I have no honor in my future. I've not been there. Why would I talk about my future? There's nothing there that makes me look good. I'm going to talk about my past. The touchdown that I scored, the home run that I hit, the big deer that I shot. Man, I remember last fall, man, I shot that big old boy. You should have been here. It's a minute. Oh, early in the morning, he's coming down. We love to talk about our past because that's where our honor is. Well, my wife's number one need is not honor. She could care less what I shot or what kind of head's hanging on the wall. She wants to know how we're going to pay the bills tomorrow, how we're going to put braces on the crooked kids' teeth, how we're going to get them into college, how we're going to pay for a wedding. So her constant conversation is about someplace I've never been, I don't want to go, and I don't have the money for. Got that. Her number two need is not sex. Now, women like sex, but it's not her number two need. Her number two need is affection that's non-sexual touching. Well, I don't touch my wife unless I want sex because I'm performance-oriented. Why would I touch you unless I wanted something? I got stuff to do. If I'm touching you, I want something. Well, I had to learn, I have to learn to touch her when I don't want sex. You know, she likes touching and hugging because she's got 10 times less hormones on her skin than a man does. Women love to cuddle and hug and touch. Sex is not on their mind. But a man, you go touching and hugging them. My God, this woman's hot. She wants something. My God, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> and so it didn't take long to realize we are from two different planets. Now, when my wife and I, our families grew up three miles from each other, three miles. Our dads worked at the same company at the same time for 30 years. Our families went to the same Hickson First Baptist Church. Denise and I went to the same elementary, junior, and high school. We liked the same food. We liked chicken livers and ketchup. We liked the same John Wayne movies. We were like kissing cousins. And I've told it before, I had to check the family tree to make sure we weren't hooked up somewhere because, man, this is awful close. We're an awful lot alike. But we're not on the same family tree. But I thought we're so alike. We're got it made. We're going to be in love forever. We're, we never fight about anything. We talk about the same thing with family reunions and our dad's work and church. And we're just so. But the more we try to solve problems, the more we realize we don't see anything the same. Your needs are not my needs. Your strengths are not my strengths. Your weaknesses are not my strengths. And I, I thought, my God, I married it because we were so much alike. But the longer you're married, you realize I've married my opposite. Now, I'm an old engineer. The gears that you put together that work good have the opposite teeth. You put, two, you put two gear spokes with the same number of teeth on it, and they're going to shear. When two people are just alike, I said this morning, one of you is not needed. When God put Adam to sleep and took out a rib, he took stuff out of Adam Adam doesn't have anymore. Eve's got it. Now, she didn't get every rib. He left some ribs behind. 
That's why you've got to learn to talk to one another, which is what we're talking about right now. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Now, the Proverbs is an entire course on communication, what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. You want to save your marriage? Take 30 days, read a chapter of Proverbs a day, and if you'll pay attention, it will save your marriage. I have got to learn to control my mouth. I said it this morning. All wars, all divorces, all affairs start with words. Shut your mouth. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Man, you start, you're, that tongue is set on fire from hell itself. You, just because a thought hits your mind doesn't mean you have permission to say it. It's probably not from God. And I've done it as a man because my wife has got a higher IQ. She's better educated. And we get in conversations. Now, I wouldn't win because it would be five minutes after conversation I finally think of something. You know, you get in those things and she's just mouthing. It's like, and I can't catch up because she's gone on to the next thing before I can figure out that thing. Like, and five minutes later, I think of something because it got to the point where I could kind of catch up. And all of a sudden, I'd get a thought in the middle of one of those verbiage assaults. And I thought, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. And I said, no, don't say that. No, no, I got to say it. I don't get many good thoughts. I'm going to say it now. And I'd just launch it out. <laughs> and then I'd sleep on the couch for three nights, and that, that, that wasn't good. So here's what I call, I call it. Somebody talk to me. This is not all of Proverbs. This is just a few to set up this thing because I want to give you tonight. Number one, about communication and about why we're different. So when I'm talking, what I'm saying is not what my wife is hearing. Let me say that again. What I think I'm saying, let me say it a little bit. What I think I'm saying is not what she thinks she's hearing. Like, well, that, that's not what I said. Yes, it is. You said blah, 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 blah. Well, well I, I meant this, blah, 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 blah. blah. Well, you said, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what, am I married to a lawyer? What, what, what? You know my heart. No, I don't. That's what your mouth said. <sighs> well, I'll tell you, I'm going to learn from the old man and say, you know, the way you have a good marriage is don't talk to your wife more than you have to. Go to work early, come home late. When you get home, eat a lot of food, keep your mouth full, and shut up. <laughs> now, I heard that from a foreman one time at Olin Mass, and I thought, yeah, that's smart. But no, because it backs up like a toilet, and it's going to explode in your face pretty soon. Don't, don't let it back up. Get it out a little at a time. Women empty their brains like a washing machine on a spin cycle. You ask a woman a question like, would you pass the butter? And she'll talk for 30 minutes. I, I, I just wanted the butter. When men are under pressure, the way they problem solve is getting off and getting quiet. We like to get quiet when we problem solve. We get in our head. And... That's why a woman, she sees her husband quiet, she'll say, honey, is there a problem? What? Is there a problem? No. Well, you look worried like there's a problem. Really? I don't think I'm worried. Well, is there something you'd like to talk about? I don't think so. Well, you look like you're concerned. Really? Maybe I am. I didn't think I was. Well, I'm not concerned about, you know, like, ladies, he's quiet. He's, he gets inside to problem solve. Women have to talk out loud. They throw all their words out in the air, get them in the right order, put them back in. So I've told husbands, the best thing you'll ever do is get you a bobblehead doll and paint your face on it. <laughs> Please don't interrupt her. Shut your mouth. And she'll empty her whole problems out in the air, put them back in the right order, and hug your neck, and you'll have a good night. So let's give this, this is about call somebody talk to me. <laughs> All intimacy starts with words. If you don't know anything else, you better learn this. Words start with, it's intimacy starts with words. God loves words. He inhabits praises. 
Words are powerful. you got to learn to talk. So Proverbs 15, verse 2. Proverbs 15, 2. I call this, I will think before I speak. It says this, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge correctly, but the mouth of a fool pours out foolishness. Oh, my goodness, that's a bumper sticker. Got to learn to think before I speak. Proverbs 15, 28. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. In other words, think before you open your mouth. I don't care how good you think it is. Think about it a minute. Should I say that? Should I say that? Should I say that? No, 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 don't say that. Is this going to help? Is this going to have fun? No, no, don't say that. You know, like, because this comes out, it's going to be a gasoline lake, and you won't be able to put it out for three weeks. Don't say that. Proverbs 18.13, Proverbs 18.13, he that answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and a shame to him. Uh, American Psychologist Corporation says this, they say that 75% of the time it's a man interrupting a woman, not a woman interrupting a man. Though she uses three times more words a day than a man does, he's the one that interrupts. And the reason is men are performance oriented. So when she's talking, he thinks she's giving him a list of problems, something to fix. Well, a woman will talk about five problems in one sentence because she can do that. She uses both sides of her brain. A man only uses one. You know that, don't you? When it's a baby boy in a mother's womb, I don't care if she's got quadruplets. That mother's body designed by God will produce a chemical bath that will wash over the developing brain of that baby boy. And during the development of that baby boy in that mother's womb, that chemical bath will cause that left and right hemisphere of that brain to separate. And 40% of the connections between the left and right brain and a male's brain will snap like wooden bridges. So when a male's born, he's your left or right brain dominator. What? You talk too fast and he'll just stare at you. What? And women don't understand. They think, you never listen. No, he's listening. He's just way back on the bridge. <laughs> now, the AMA says between the two hemispheres of a female brain are a lot of six-lane freeway highway bridges and information is flying back and forth across. She can think about five things in one. Between the two hem- this is the AMA. Between the two hemispheres of a male brain is one foot bridge. The information just goes one direction at a time and really slow. So you get to talk real fast to your husband, he'll just get glassy-eyed. He's lost. He's way back there. Just going to help you out. says this, he that answers the matter before he hears it. So I tell men especially, shut your mouth and just listen. Let her finish the sentence. Quit trying to interrupt. Because we're performance-oriented. We like to go where there's a scoreboard. We want to be the biggest and the best and the fastest. We got trophies and awards and stuff hanging on the wall. Nobody caught nothing bigger than me. Nobody shot nothing bigger than me. Nobody ran faster than me. I'm somebody. Well, you bring that into your marriage, you're going to be sleeping on the couch a lot because you've got to let her finish like, oh, I know where she's going. I can fix this right now. Don't fix it. No, no, really. I know what it is she needs. No, you don't. Shut up. She's going five different directions. We'll wait till they get you to the end of the path. She's moving like, oh, I'm glad I didn't say nothing. Boy, that changed in a hurry. Ooh, my, oh, that's... Proverbs 12, 18, there's one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Oh, my goodness. James 3, 6, 8, and 10, look at this. The tongue is a fire. Oh, my goodness. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of their life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The way you bring hell into your marriage is let your tongue just run loose. Don't just say anything hits your brain. Shut your mouth. Soft answer turns away wrath. Grievous words stir up strife. 
Most fights start over something incredibly stupid. I'll promise you, I, I estimate, I'm estimating now, uh, I'd have to call it, I think 95% of all marital counseling I've ever done that people thought they needed to get a divorce started over the most insane, idiotic, little thing you could ever imagine when we finally nailed it down. Like, you got to be kidding me. You fought over what now? We've saved a few of them. James 3.8, no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. said no man. The tongue is a rudder. It reveals what's in the heart. The reason you can't control this, this is, this is connected to your heart. That's why you need to meditate on the word day and night. Then you'll prosper and have good success. Woo, have mercy. There, John 2, beloved, I wish above all things you'd prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. You are what you think about. That's why you need to focus on the Word of God, meditate in that. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You better watch what you're feeding on because that's what you're going to say if, if the pressure comes up. James 3.10, out of the same mouth come praise and cursings, people this should not be. I like this. this is one of my favorites, Romans 2.1. Every time you judge somebody else, you condemn yourself for it takes one to know one. I learned this in the business world long before I was ever in ministry. Somebody who's always yammering about something is what they're guilty of. Let me say it real slow. Somebody who's always gripping, complaining, and yapping about something, put a mark on them. That's what they're guilty of. What I'm guilty of, I will attack in you to protect myself. I hate to use the illustration, but it's the best one I think of on a national level. When Jim Baker fell into sin, Jimmy Swaggart was on, and I like Jimmy Swaggart, watched him a long time. Jimmy Swaggart was on Nightline two weekends in a row blasting Jim Baker for the damage he did to the body of Christ. How can he do so? And Jimmy had his tie loose, and he's just preaching hellfire damnation about the damage Jim Baker did, you know, with Jessica Hahn and the reproach he's brought on the body of Christ. I thought, and I remember the second time I saw it on the second Friday, and I thought, what's he so mad about? I mean, outside of shooting Jim Baker, what else can you do to him? I mean, he's lost his honor. He's lost his wife. He's lost his freedom. He's going to jail. He's lost his ministry. He's lost everything. Outside of shooting him, what else could you possibly do to him? Why swagger so mad? Romans 2.1, he's guilty of the same sin. Six months later, what happened? Oh, that's why you were mad. You were guilty of the same thing. You were attacking somebody else. You will att- I tell husbands and wives, your spouse yammering at you, you might want to take a clue and realize what it is they're, they're concerned about, afraid of, or upset about because they're attacking you. Instead of attacking back, you ought to take a clue. I think I can help right here, sugar. Hey, hon, I think I can help. I think I know what the problem is. Humans will attack another people what they're guilty of. Ooh, I love that, and that is a nasty bumper sticker. Here, let's go to this, and I like this. Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth unless it ministers grace to the hearer. <laughs> like, what does it mean? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Now, eventually, we're going to get to it in a minute. You've got to say stuff to your, if you're married, you've got to talk about tough things sometimes. Money things, sexual things, kid things, in-laws, parents, neighbors, boss, like Man, we need to visit. We've got to get the mind of Christ. We've got to get our heads together. Well, I don't see it that way. I know, but we've got to find out what the solution is. If I don't know what it is, you need to help me out because something's got to be done. We cannot keep avoiding this problem. We are problem solvers. We've got to engage it. Jesus engaged problems. He didn't run from them. But that's good. 1 Peter 3.10, For he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and see that his lips speak no guile. Now, what does that mean? Well, if I want to live good, I better learn to control my tongue. I'll tell you, the marriages that make it are the ones that people realize, you know, I need to shut my mouth. So, if you just took those scriptures alone and get the Proverbs full of them, I can't just say anything hits my mind to Denise. I love Denise. And we have intense conversations about lots of things sometimes. You know, we're dealing with, with our, uh, my father-in-law right now, trying to make sure he's in good shape and taken care of. And 
you know, and it's like, okay, well, we're going to have to do some stuff. And what's it going to cost? And how are we going to do it? And what do we need to hire? And what's going to be done? It's like, all of it's not good. It's all, it's all money. What are we going to do? Well, that's going to cost money. I already know that. I don't even say that. I know that. And she told me when we got married, when we got married, two weeks in our marriage, we were just talking one morning. She said, now, Joe, I want you to understand something. If anything ever happens to my father, my mother will come live with us. I won't put her in a nursing home. Now, I'm 20 years old. You know, her mother's young, healthy, like, I'm eating pancakes It's Saturday morning. Fine with me. Be glad to do it. Kumbaya. <laughs> well, you know, it sort of flipped on us. Her daddy didn't pass away. Her mother did. You know, it would been a whole lot easier if it was her mother still here. She's of a little different disposition than her daddy. Like, He's still here. What are we going to do? When she won't put him in a nursing home. The brothers want to put him there. She doesn't. She told me 40 years ago, I will not put him in a home. Like, yes, you did. Praise God. And I agree. <laughs> Even though I was young and stupid, I agree. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm a blessed man. I just got to get more blessed. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Pucker up. <laughs> How can I help? <laughs> The reason my wife's not with me tonight is because she's down with her 96-year-old father because he needs to be taken care of tonight. And she loves him. He's cantankerous, mean, and he'll cuss you out, but she loves him. The brother said, he's mean, put him on. I know what he's like. He's old. But he loved us, took good care of us, took care of my mom. I know he's old and cantankerous, but he's my father. And I'm going to do what's right. Not because he's nice. I'm going to do what's right because it's right to do what's right. I thought, praise God, I'm glad I married you. Mm-hmm. I hope our kids pick this up. Praise God. And so in problem solving, we were really dealing with things we never dreamed we'd have to deal with, you know. And, but, and, and really, I don't have, I have a great attitude about it. I realize this is what we're going to do. And it's a decision. Life is a decision, a constant process of making decisions. Until I agree we're going to do it, the, the need won't be met. If I grab about a lack of something, the need won't be met. I, you know, we're going to do this. How? I don't know, but we're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. Well, we found a great nurse at a really good price. We happen to live two doors down. She's retired. She comes in, fixes breakfast, does lunch, gives him the shots, takes us. It's a miracle we found that lady. It's not a miracle. It's a God supplying our need because we determined we're going to make this work. We're going to make this work. We're going to make this work. And every time we determine to make something work, the need gets supplied. But if we're thumb-sucking about it, nothing gets supplied. It just gets worse. Life and death and the power of the tongue. So it's working out really, really good. Now, I'm going to give you this. So hang with me. This is where I'm going to close this. This is, this is all from the public library. Everything I'm about to give you is not out of Scripture. It's from the public library. But hang with me because you need to know when you get married, you married your opposite. I didn't know that when I got married. I wish I'd have read this 40 years ago. My life would have been a whole lot better. We'd have had a lot more, a lot more good years than the ones we've had because I fought her over stuff, and she fought me. So I'll just read through it. Hang with me here. Boys like things. Girls like people. Boys want to compete. Girls want to cooperate. Boys want to talk about who they've whipped. Girls want to talk about the friends they've made. We go grocery shopping. I remember one time we were going to the grocery and of course the first section is the produce section. I'm going with Denise. We're a two-cart shopper. We got six kids. We're going through and a lady asked Denise where the grapefruit were. And I thought, oh, not good, not good, not good. And I'm getting ready to, oh, they're right. And before I can answer, Denise got in a conversation. Oh, they're right here. And, and they walked over there together like she needed a guide. Of course, they start talking. They don't know each other. Well, they sure look good. Yep, I just bought some of these last week, and they're so good. You know, and men, the pink ones are really wonderful. My kids love it so much. And, oh, you have kids? Oh, yeah, we have six kids, and we got two in college. It's like, oh, dear God, let's get out the photo album. <laughs> and they talk for 30 minutes. I thought, it's a grapefruit. 
just point to them right there. And keep moving because I'm performance-oriented. You know, she's not. She's relation, And she loved getting to meet the lady. We're 30 minutes late now. You know, I'm just hanging out with the car. But I learned enough, don't say nothing, because I want to play kissy face tonight. <laughs> Wasn't it wonderful we could help that lady find those grapefruit? Because it was really hard. It was dirt. <laughs> I didn't say that. I'm smart enough. Women are lunch chasers. <laughs> men are lunch chasers and women are nest defenders. I've told the story before about when there were cavemen. It doesn't bother my theology if there were, but caveman gets up in the morning at sun up, grabs his club, walks out of the cave into the jungle, spends all day beating some mastodon to death. According to historians, I don't know how they knew, but according to them, the cave women didn't go. They stayed by the cave, built cave fire, play with cave kids, keep cave clean, pick cave berries. Caveman comes home even dragging that nasty mastodon, and they just drop it down next to the fire and look at that cave woman and say something romantic like, ugh. And that's cave talk for skin this thing and barbecue it, woman. And then the caveman would just plop down a stare in the fire like, men love a fire. You ever notice that on camp outs? You build a fire, men won't say three words. They'll just. <laughs> now, most men don't have fires anymore, but they have a TV set and works just as good. Come home and. <clears throat> <laughs> How was your day? What? What? <laughs> cave woman had enough sense to get up, get the cave blanket around him, hurry up and get that cave meat cooked and get his cave belly full. She took care of the cave kids, the cave dishes, and the cave mastodon. She did not keep the cavemen up to 2 a.m. analyzing their cave relationship. Because if she keeps them up to 2 a.m. analyzing their cave relationship, it'll be the mastodon dragging him home tomorrow. They had a great deal going on. But we've changed that. We're, men are trying to become like women. Women are trying to become like men. We have no idea who we are anymore, what our job is. We've got confused with one another. You say, well, how do you feel? I don't know. I really don't care. I don't. Uh, what? <laughs> so we're having to learn something. Now, look at this. Brain tests shown that when a man's in his resting state, the two hours at night, when he is in his deepest sleep, 70% of the male brain shuts down. It's like we turn off the switch. When we get in our deepest sleep, we flip the switch. We're gone to the world. But when a woman's in her deepest sleep, 90% of her brain's at full capacity. That's why women will say, not men, house could burn down. You never know it. You'd sleep right through it. You didn't hear the baby cry. What, what baby? I don't hear no baby. Where's the baby at? That doesn't mean they're not lying sometimes, but most of the time they don't hear it. Women have two X chromosomes. Men only have one. That's why most men look like they got dressed at the Salvation Army. <laughs> you know, now we laugh, and you heard the joke. Comedians tell stories about it. Where a wife will ask her husband, you wearing that? No, I was just trying stuff on. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing this. You wore that yesterday, and I'm going to wear it tomorrow, and you better not wash it. I got it broke in. I've had those conversations. Denise said one of our worst fights we, got, we ever had in our life was over a, a gallon of off-white paint to paint my oldest daughter's bedroom. She had the little piece of paper to Joe, go to the paint store and get me this paint. All right, well, there's another man working there. We only have one X chromosome. Women have two. Women see colors men will never see, like mauve and chartreuse. We just see the rainbow. It's blue. It's light blue. What other blue is there? <laughs> we go to Home Depot, there's 58 blues. Anyhow, you go down, I got that paint came on. She said, Joe, that's not the color I asked you to get. I asked you to get this color. Sure it is. Ask the paint guy at the paint store. He's in charge. He said, that's it. Look at it, Joe. That's not it. Okay, you know, it doesn't look like it does. So I went back. 
I had to buy three, I think it's $27 again. I bought three gallon of paint before I got the right one. And I learned from then on, and seriously, from that day, I never buy paint, ever. I'll put it on. I'm not buying it. You go buy it. You have two X chromosomes. I only have one. <laughs> you can laugh. I'm serious. Women's peripheral vision is 180 degrees. Why men have tunnel vision. That's why men are better not drivers. They don't have near the accidents that women do. Women do because of long-range driving. We see far away. Women don't. Women have 180 degree peripheral. A woman can see side to side all the time. And because a woman wants to know where the kids are at all times. Where's the kids at? Where's the kids at? Well, a man's like, dear God, I don't know. They're not in front of me. I don't know where they are. I don't care where they are. <laughs> Insurance statistics show that a female driver is four times less likely to be hit from the side in a car accident than a man is. Because he can't see it coming. That's why when it's a woman riding as a pastor and a man driving, she'll drive him insane. Look out! Watch out! Dear God, woman, shut up! I didn't come close. And what happens, you can have major wars over that thing when you realize he can't see it, I'm going to help him. And that's why, you, you ever listen to the OnStar lady or, or when you have uh, the, the thing that you put in your car and you rent from the rental carpet? You need to turn left two miles ahead. We're sorry, you've gone too far. I will reroute you now. Now, like, well, dear God, you missed your turn off. How stupid are you? Know, she talks so nice. Well, I had a lot of conversation. You need to talk like her. For every man that can sing in tune, there are eight women who can sing in tune. Only one out of eight men can sing in tune. Did you know? Now, that's just a medical fact. Uh, you ever look at a choir in any church? Not very many men. You don't want them up there. <laughs> It'll be a hoedown, trust me. It's just a different thing. <laughs> Women hear five tones. Men only hear three. That's why you will never hear a man say, but you will hear a woman say, don't use that tone of voice with me. And the man's like, what tone? I, I didn't hear nothing. He didn't hear it. He's oblivious to that. That's why if you ever go and sit on jury duty, they'll talk to you. Especially said, now listen, guys, if you go to that stand to be a witness for something, those women will interpret. It's not words. They'll read your tone. They'll watch your body language. They're reading you. This is secular, and they'll tell you that. You better not lie. A woman knows when you're lying. She does. She just naturally has built-in radar. You're lying. <laughs> you, can, you can go on a trip with a bunch of guys and come back home and your wife can ask you a question, and you can lie. And she says, you're lying. You think, who called? Who told you? And nobody. She's just reading your body language. Dear God, I tell the truth. Truth sets you free. A woman's four to six times more likely to touch another woman in a conversation. I see it in the lobby every time I go to church. Women will talk, and they'll touch each other. Well, it's so good to see you. And it's so, oh, your face is so, and they just touch us like, they're just touching everybody. Women, they don't, men don't touch nothing. They just stand five, ten feet away. How you doing? It's, um, when a woman gets mad at a man, the first thing that will come out of her mouth is, don't touch me. And men think, dear God, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to stay in the same room with you, dear God. Because women think they're punishing men when they say, don't touch. Trust me, ladies, he can care less. I like this. In the brain scan of a man, when he's reading, you'll find out when a man's reading a newspaper, he's 70% deaf. To go to the reading part of my brain, I leave the hearing part. A male brain has doors in it. Well, I'm going to go into this room now and close that door behind me. I'm going to the reading part. Well, a woman will look at a husband sitting at the breakfast table reading the newspaper, and she'll think, well, he's sitting there quiet. I can talk to him. And she'll, he'll just be sitting there like, what? <laughs> Watching a ball game, reading the paper, men have focus disease. They may cause it. We're focused. What, what, what is it? Dear God, come on. 
Not good. For women, speech has one purpose. It is to build relationships. For men, speech has one purpose. It's to relate facts. Tell you what I caught last week. Tell you what I shot. Tell you how fast I was driving. Wow, I'm a male. Look, you go down here to Walmart or grocery store, the front cover of every men's magazine, whether it's Sports Illustrated, Field and Stream, is a performance statement. How to shoot that deer with one shot. Catch that bass on my first cast. I mean, it's all performance. That's what my, that's why I don't do better. I don't run faster and catch bigger and shoot longer. <sighs> the front cover of all women's magazines are performance, I mean, relationship statements. My favorite one is Cosmopolitan. It's probably been 28, 30 years ago. There were several women reading it at the checkout counter. Cosmopolitan, the lead article, and the lead article on the front cover was this. Does he love his mother more than he loves you? And there are women trying to find out. Men can care, dear God, I don't know. You know, we're just oblivious to stuff like that. A woman uses three times more words a day than a man does. A man uses 10 to 12,000 words a day. A woman uses 25 to 30,000 words a day. That's why in all domestic violence, it is a man hitting a woman about 78% of the time, not a woman hitting a man. And the reason is he runs out of words. I'm not making this up. This is AMA. He only speaks 10 to 12,000 words a day. He probably used up 10,000 to work. He's got 2,000 left over when he gets home. Even if she's working, she's got 25 to 30,000. If she used half of them, she used 12,000 up at work. She's still got 12 to 15,000 left over. He's got two. She's got 15. So, hey, what? 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 What now? What? What? Slow down. And when a man runs out of words, he gets violent. He'll hit because he doesn't know what else to do. When a man hits something, it's because he just ran out of words. Boom! What is that? He just ran out of words. So I tell him, it's like an old junkyard dog. Don't back him into a corner. You get home late at night, ladies. Late at night's not a good time to talk to your husband if he's been at work all day. Shut your mouth up. Catch him early in the morning. He's got a fresh supply of words and get him then. I'm, really, I'm serious. Don't, don't get him late at night. I'm trying to help you out. Anyhow, Primary way a woman solves her problems by talking out loud. Man does it by getting quiet. Most men can speak or listen. They cannot do both at the same time. You put 12 men in a circle out here and they'll take turns talking. And 11 other men will just like. And he stops talking. Well, you know, but somebody, okay, I got, he's talking now. I'll be quiet. You put 12 women in a circle and every stinking one. And they all understand one another. <laughs> have mercy women use indirect speech she hints at things she wants men use direct speech that's why men can't pick up on a woman I've told this before one of the worst fights Nisa and I had it was a beautiful fall morning we're living in Sykes, Missouri got a babysitter for the kids Nisa and I are going to go for a drive in the country on a Saturday morning we've already had breakfast it's been a wonderful we're just going to go driving for a couple hours out through the countryside we're just driving business. got my beautiful wife mother of my three children you know at that time and all of a sudden Denise said something we're talking, all right? Talking nice. She said about an hour into that drive, Joe, would you like another cup of coffee? Would you like to stop and get another cup of coffee? And I thought, no, I had plenty this morning. No, I'm good. Now I'm oblivious. So we're listening to some stuff on the radio, and all of a sudden, about 30 minutes later, I realize she's not talking anymore. Hey, sure, you okay? Yes, I'm fine. <laughs> well, baby, what happened? You all right? Nothing. Well, something's wrong. What is it? You wouldn't stop giving me a cup of coffee. You didn't ask for any coffee. Yes, if I wanted some coffee. And that's where I learned that women hint at stuff. 
So if they're hitting around, well, would you like to go over and see mom? I'd love to. I was just thinking about that right now. <laughs> That'll help somebody. 90% of all women, 90% of all women have limited spatial ability. That's why 70% of all women flunk the driver's test on parallel parking the first time. My spatial ability. Well, I just can't back it up. <laughs> Would you back it up? No, you have to back it up, lady. We can't do that for you. That and reading, reading a map. We were down through Memphis one time on a trip. <laughs> we are going through Interstate 40. Just driving through Hey, babe, get this map real quick because I've got kids in the back of suburban. Make sure we stay on Interstate 40. And she, she said, okay. And she opens the map. What direction are we going, Joe? Now, she got a higher IQ, made straight A's in school. Smart woman. And she said, well, what direction are we going? I said, we're going to Chattanooga on Interstate 40 through Memphis. What is it? We're going east, sugar. We're going east. And she took that map and turned it sideways. I said, baby, give me the map back. We're going, to be in, we're going to be in Louisiana if we follow that. Hand that back to me. On three-dimensional tests, video tests, boys outscore girls four to one. You visit any pinball arcade and you'll notice that it's full of boys, not full of girls. Boys love space and dimension, speed, distance, wop, 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 wop. Girls aren't in there playing the games. They're hanging off the boys. Boys were designed different than girls. Now, there are exceptions, but they're the rare thing. Study at Yale University <laughs> in spatial skill that only 22% of the girls could perform the same task as men could. Spatial ability. They're smarter, have a higher IQ. They're going to outlive the average men by seven years. They have a better immune system. Uh, they have 3% higher IQ, but they're limited on spatial ability the way their brain functions. Who did that? God. That doesn't make men better. Doesn't make women worse. Doesn't make women better. Men worse. It makes us different. God made us different to help one another, not attack one another. But if you don't know that, you'll just, well, dear God, what's wrong? You just think stupid. No, you think different. I need to pull on your strengths, not attack your weaknesses. Oh, that's a good summation right there. Study was found that while 68% of males could program a VCR on the first time with some written instructions, only 16% of the women could do that. That's at Yale. Only 16%. Why? Spatial ability. It's just spatial ability. A series of IQ tests found out women have superiority over men and in general intelligence. That's why you go, listen, elementary school, when I was a school administrator, Kids come to kindergarten on the same level, but boys are no different at age five than they are at 55, performance-oriented. First time I, would, I had a teacher two weeks into school, kindergarten teacher, K-5, first time at school, boys and girls. And I'm coming in to watch her, just kind of overview thing, and she did something she never should have done. She did boys versus girls. I thought, where did this woman get her degree? Well, we're going to have a little contest today. Mr. McGee's watching boys versus girls. Oh, bad idea, bad idea. So she threw it. They learned just some color, shapes, and sizes. It's kindergarten. Two weeks. We don't know nothing. Color, shapes, and sizes. So we're going to have a contest. So she threw out the first question. Who has the answer to the first question? Well, K-5 boys are rocking their desk. Me, call me. They don't like academics. They can't spell academics. They just want to show off. Call on me. And so 70% of the time in a class setting, a woman teacher will call on a male to shut him up. Yes, Johnny, what is it? Answer is A. A is the answer. Now, if he wasn't 100% sure he had the answer, he wouldn't give an answer. He doesn't want to look stupid. His number one need is honor. If he wasn't sure his answer was right, his hand would not be up. Well, he says A, and she's, well, I'm sorry, wrong answer. Who else has an answer? Now, he's in the back of the room in front of me. He went down like the red baron in flames. The teacher didn't notice him. Went, Other boys turned up. Man, you're stupid. <laughs> 
And this kid's crying, and the teacher's oblivious. And so, so this little girl, I have an answer, I have an answer. And she called on this girl on the other side of the room. Yes, Susie, what's the answer? The answer is B, B. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong. Oh, I have another answer, I have another answer. Because a girl will give 10 wrong answers in a row and be thrilled. Because she just wants to participate. She doesn't need to win, she just wants to be a part. Wasn't that wonderful? Yale University, when it came to solving puzzles, men outscored, men scored in the top 92% of the top honors to women's 8%. So I'm going to read this to you. Now, these are vocations where spatial skill is not a requirement. These are jobs where you don't need spatial skill. Biology teachers, this is the United States, biology teachers, 49% men, 51% women. Business teachers, 50% men, 50% women. History teachers, 54% men, 48% women. Geography teachers, 56% men, 44% women. Music teachers, 51% men, 49% women. I can go down through all teachers are almost split even. Why? No spatial skills are required. Look at this. This is from the U.S. Census. Flight engineers, 100% of all flight engineers are males. You can look it up. Where's a female? I don't know. They're not a flight engineer. 99.9% of all engineers in the United States are males, not females. They have two aunts that are engineers, and they're real good at it. One went to Georgia Tech. They're real good. It doesn't mean a woman can or won't do it, but predominantly men go to their strengths with spatial skill ability. Oh, goodness gracious. 99.8% of all race car drivers are males. 98.3% of all nuclear engineers are males. 99.2% of all airline pilots are males. 94% of all air traffic controllers are males. 91% of all architects are males. 83% of all accountants are males. It's just a different deal. Men aren't smarter than women. Women are smarter than men. But when it comes to spatial skill, men gravitate to their strength. If you don't understand that when you're trying to solve a problem in your marriage, whether it's money, kids, or where you're going to live, you're going to see things different because God's gifting you different on purpose. It's not to fight one another. It's to solve a problem. You've got to quit attacking one another, especially with stupid statements like, you're just like your mother. Just like, no, I'm not. I'm different because God made me different to be a blessing. If I wasn't different, you don't need me. I said it this morning. When two people are just alike, one of you is not needed. God's real creative. I like this, and we'll give you this. 99% of all patents registered in the United States Patent Office are registered by males, not females. 99%. Does that make men smarter? No, it just makes them different. A woman registers stuff she wants to. Woman's, I said, I, I have a woman, I said all the time, I fly all the time. I'm a multi-million mile with American, I'm a million mile with Delta, a million mile with uh, Southwest. I love it when I have a female pilot. I feel real good. I've got a female pilot, thank God. Thank God. Why? She's going to use both sides of her brain. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. I feel real good when there's a woman pilot. Uh, I had a woman doctor one time, I was doing some heart stuff checkups, like, Oh, thank God, you know, all right, man, because she's just, because she's real verbal. Men don't, they're not verbal. You know, we're having to take my father off to his doctor. You've got to ask him five questions to get one answer. What? Well, what's this mean with it? Well, I don't, I don't really know what the kind of, a woman, she'll tell you what it means, what color it is, and when it's going to come back. I like that. That's so good. Now, listen to these. We'll close with this. Recent study conducted in Western countries asked men and women to describe what kind of person they want to be. Men overwhelmingly chose these top five words that men want to be. Number one was competitive. This is all Western countries. What's the number one thing you want to be? Competitive. Looking for honor. I want to whip some. <laughs> number two was capable. Number three was dominant. What's the number three thing? Most number three given statement in Western countries. I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. Be the head. I want to be a real man. Well, I just like to pucker up something like that. We can imagine. I told my daughters, when you love to pucker up to that, a dominant male. <laughs> Woo! You want a man in charge, not one that controls you. Assertive, 
admired and practical. Women picked these. Number one, there was number one thing a woman wanted to be in Western countries was loving. What do you, what do you want to be? I want to be loving. What's he want to be? Competitive. We're a perfect match. I love him being competitive. <laughs> number two was sympathetic. Number three was attractive. Number four was friendly. And number five was giving. Men don't want to give. It's not even in their top 100 list. It was getting, no giving. Hey, how do you want to give this? Dear God, no. I don't give them nothing. Dear God, I'm well, four. <laughs> oh, that's another sermon. Men have always defined themselves by their work. Women define themselves by their relationship. Men leave women believing they can't make them happy. Mm, that's nasty. A woman leaves a man because she is emotionally unfulfilled. Well, that's not good. And the last two, I'll give you these. I like this. What women are looking for, this is Western civilization. Top five things a woman's looking for. Number one is personality. What are you looking for in a man? Personality. I don't want to marry a tree stump. I don't want to marry a doofus of the north end of a southbound mule. I'd like to marry a nice person. Personality. Number two is humor. Why? Life's tough enough. I like a man to make me laugh. It's really kind of attractive when he makes me laugh. Not when he makes fun of me, when he makes me laugh. Number three is sensitive. I like him to understand what I'm thinking and feeling, not make fun of it. Whoa, howdy. Number four was brains. I like to marry a smart man. And number five, I like him to take a shower every day. <laughs> By the way, we're going to talk about sex and marriage on Tuesday night. Don't ever go to bed without taking a shower, gentlemen, men. I, I took one this morning. We'll take one tonight. You get out of bed in the morning, it shouldn't look like a camel died in there. Or smell like a camel died in there. Men think smelling grunges. I bet that's sexy. My God. <laughs> that's Tuesday night. <laughs> Anyhow, here's the last one. What men are looking for, number one, is personality. Son of a gun. What's his personality? Number two, I think a man's looking for is good grooming. You know, grunge, you might think grunge popular, not to a guy. What's that? That's a grungy girl. What's that? Well, it makes me want to pucker up <laughs> and spit. I don't know. Man. Number three is brains. Number four is humor. Number five is good physical appearance. Now, we're going to stop with that. 30 second rehearsal. According to the Word of God, I better learn how to, I better learn how to talk to my wife because our goal is to solve problems. Matthew 5 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called the children of God. And the Greek in that is blessed are the problem solvers. What God give me a spouse for? Solve problems because God's called me to do something. She's going to help me to go get it done. We're going to have to solve problems on the way because there's a devil that tries to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're going to be attacked by situations and financial situations and other stuff. We need to overcome. Honey, let's get in agreement here. We need to pray and solve this thing. Let's get our minds together. We're a problem-solving unit. Number two, I got to learn that we're doing that. We got to learn to talk without yelling, screaming, and cussing at one another. So I better say what God says I'm supposed to say and not the other. The last thing is I got to realize Denise sees everything I see different. She hears everything different. She thinks everything different. That's not to be my enemy. It's because she's good at what I'm not good at. I'm good at what she's not good at. We're not to attack each other. We're to get an agreement. Everybody say agreement. agreement. Say it again. Agreement. One more time. Well, let's stand up. We're going to pray. Thank you for your patience tonight. You learned anything? Say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you. You made me who I am. I want the men and the men only. Gentlemen, say this after me. He said, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I am a male. You made me a male. I'm a man. I like being a man. Help me be a good, a righteous man. Ladies and ladies only. God, I thank you. You made me a woman, a female. I like being a female. I'm proud to be a female. Help me be a great female. In Jesus' name. Now, 
Tuesday night, we're going to do a little exchange of vow thing. It's going to be kind of fascinating. It won't take long. It'll take about two minutes at the end. But I'm going to promise you something. There's a great, great move of God coming on this planet. Incredible things are happening right now, and it's going to get greater. God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. There's going to be more money made and more people go bankrupt in the history of mankind. Make sure you're in the right line. Marriages are a gift from God to go through this and have a great time at it. Don't waste time. Don't let the devil get you attacking each other when you're supposed to be attacking him. Help one another. Pray for one another. Get your little card, and I'll give it tomorrow night, which you can start doing. Pray for your spouse. Well, what an idiot. My God, you, God, you better take the blindness off their ignorant mind because they're just like, no, don't do that. Father, I thank you for my spouse. They're a blessing. If you're ladies, you're praying for your husband. Father, I thank you. He is a lover, a leader, and a provider. Ladies, say that. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you. My husband is a lover, a leader, and a provider to me and for me and my family. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen only, say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for my wife. She's a help me. She's not from hell. She's a help me. She manages my home. <laughs> she manages my home. I had other thoughts. And she trains my children. I love her. I appreciate her. In Jesus' name. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, I commit this next decade into your hands. Lord, you know where we are tonight. You know where we are. I thank you that you have brought us this far. But, Father, I ask you for the future. Lord, if we're blinded in any area, take that blindness from our minds and lighten the eyes of our understanding. Draw us out of your goodness. I remind you of your word in Proverbs 4. says you're going to talk to us when we go to sleep and we wake up and we walk during the day. We're in your hand. No man can take us out. Let our marriages, Father, I pray every marriage here tonight, let our marriages be so good it provokes others to jealousy. You said in 1 Peter 3, somebody's going to have that kind of marriage, the kind of marriage that is so good others are going to ask us about the hope that's in us. May that, may that be our testimony, that we have the kind of marriage, that we're going to build the kind of relationship that provokes other couples to jealousy. And when they ask us about the hope that's in us, we're simply going to say, it's Jesus. He's the one that did it. He's the one that's doing it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Give the Lord a hand clap, would you? Praise God.